0: You're listening to The Pandemic Podcast, where we equip you to live the most real life possible in the face of today's crises. My name is Matt Bodker, and I'm joined with my two good friends, Dr. Stephen Kistler, an epidemiologist at Harvard School of Public Health, and Dr. Mark Kistler, who is a doctor of the University of Colorado Hospital. Hey, guys. Good to see you on this beautiful Thursday, or kind of cloudy and cool, so I'm lying. Day, how's it going? Good. How you doing, Matt? Doing well. Good, good. It's good to see you guys once again. Mark, have you been in the hospital lately? Or are you? Uh, no, headed back next week. Um, okay. Yep. So, good. all right. So, getting some more gardening in. <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
1: That's right. Gardening, <laughs> writing. Gardening <laughs> and writing. Work. There are other work. There's other work, but you're right. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. We have been.
0: Yep. Simplifying your life. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about everything is complicated
1: except for Mark's life. I just simplify it so to he's a gardener. And my, my compost pile has been heating up. We, got, we, hit, we hit like 120 degrees. I almost sent you a picture. Uh, uh, 120 degrees Fahrenheit um, the other day.
0: I have no idea what that means inside the box
1: inside the pile. Yeah. So So it's like fermentation, right? So you, you get the idea is that you have bacteria and little microorganisms that eat the stuff and break it down. Right. Um, but in doing so they generate a lot of heat and the heat aids, the decomposition process. And, uh, so really good piles, you can get, you know, just very very hot and it turns over the compost really fast and so i have kind of like a personal competition with myself to oh my see gosh, how Mark. hot i can get the Good. pile
2: that sounds dangerous yeah. Yeah. i'm like gosh <laughs> do you
1: have like little fire extinguishers
2: nearby that <laughs> all the Maybe boys I and the kids <laughs> get to play with? You just <laughs> keep that away from the chicken yeah, yeah. yeah. well yeah. it's far away it's far I, away.
0: so i feel like that's like our podcast I think it's like, <laughs> I, I cannot wait to see how this. Okay, works. so this is, this is this is so I feel like we break down stuff, right? Yeah, and yep. in the end, we get heat for it. And we get <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad. That's
2: not that's bad. Not like that. yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, it's good. Okay. It's good. That was good. <laughs> that was good. That was good.
0: I think that's worthy of anybody donating five dollars right there. That was good. That was gold. So. Let's, let's, let's get into a few details before we get going. Always need reviews. Love it. We had one just the other day. It was awesome. Thank you so much for that person who left the review. Uh, please get you to do so. It helps us rise in the rankings and expose us other people to offer this to many other people as well. We're always looking for financial support. It's a difficult uh, to sustain, sustain this. Easy way to do this, patreon.com slash pandemic podcast, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com. Give as little as five dollars a month. If that doesn't seem right to you monthly, you can just give a one time small gift. You can do that at PayPal or on Venmo. Check that in the show notes as well. I have some big news that, uh, we will be going to one time a week starting next week. Uh, you know, I'm sad to do it because I love being on with these gentlemen twice a week, but, uh, I've just noticed guys, like at the beginning, it seemed simpler. Like we, I think we're just providing facts and, and just giving data of the unknown. And now I feel like, well, like, kind of story of our podcast it's kind of got more complicated. And so it's taking more time uh, and it's putting a lot of time more on my end as well. So I have to kind of stretch back a little bit to make more room for other things in my life as well. This is not going away by any means. We predicted that we would get this down to one time a week at some point in time. And we're just putting it a couple weeks, probably early to help me kind of uh, get grounded in my own life. So uh, we're not going away one time a week on Wednesday, starting next week. And uh, we could change and maybe go back to two, depending someday, we don't know, uh, but that's where we're at right now. So um, let's get going. I want to start with Stephen, man. I, it, Mark proposed this question before we recorded. Like, why are we not doing this? We need to have a modeling front update from Stephen. Like, what's going on in your life right now? Like, what are the, what are the things you're, you're looking at right now in light of uh, uh, states starting to open up? Is there any kind of new things that you're kind of percolating or you guys are talking about um, at Harvard?
2: Yeah so there's there are really two areas that we're really thinking a lot about right now. One of them as you mentioned is reopening and we've been thinking about this you know on a couple of different scales. One is you know at the state level just like what are the different policies of reopening and what might come what's the risk of infection rising over time and, and those sorts of things. But also on a more much more local level, we've been thinking a lot about, you know, at the university here, people are starting to think about whether we should, students should come back for class or some of the labs are starting to reopen, for example, and questions are, how do you do that responsibly? We've uh, we've been helping out with actually a, profession, a professional sports league um, who have asked us about how they might be able to responsibly restart their season. Um, and so, this is curling. Yep, right. that's right. That's right. It's curling. Man, good luck getting the people it, out of those it, big that's stadiums. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> just telling yeah. them to keep it well ventilated, just wave those yeah. brooms around a bit. Oh, yeah, sure. right. they, get, they,
1: get, they have the right, They've got the sweeping. That's,
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> that's right. Just stick a little disinfectant. Just, just, just put on a yeah yeah. Just put a Clorox swipes on there and they'd be good
2: that's right that's right um so yeah so there's there's a lot of like questions sort of going from the very very specific and apply it all the way up to sort of the national sort of big picture scale so so the reopening is is the one main area and then the other has to do with disparities in in infection rates by by and large so and and other racial ethnic disparities and also the stuff that I've been focusing on mostly are geographic disparities. Um, of course, those two things can overlap quite a bit, but we just we just posted. I don't know. Actually, don't think it's posted yet. No, it is posted as a preprint, so not peer reviewed. So don't trust it yet. But it's um, <laughs> <laughs> great. It's uh, it's uh, an article uh, coming from New York City, basically where we're looking at the prevalence of infection by borough in the city. And showing that there's there is a huge amount of um, variation in which boroughs have seen the most versus the least infection, basically there's a lot lower rate of infection in Manhattan versus some other parts of the city, and that that correlates very well with people's ability to basically stay home from work or not and so we sort of break that down using a couple different data sources and uh and look at it over time as well so uh, so those are the areas that we've been focused on right now and Yeah, I think that those also reflect a lot of sort of the big questions that are being had in in the modeling community at large, because those are really, really sort of the pertinent things right now that we're trying to get uh, get more information about.
0: Great. And I think, you know, we were going to save this for a little bit later, but let's just go there because you just kind of open up that door. You know, the states uh, are opening, reopening, and uh, obviously you said you're looking at what's going to happen, maybe new nuanced models. And now you're looking at this, maybe, uh, you know, different susceptibility rates within race and geography. You mentioned you wanted to talk about this a little bit as well. You're seeing this on your radar as, as well. What's what, you know, I kind of want to go with what's what's the why? Like, why, how, why is this? showing up and what might be
1: the reason for this? Do we know
0: kind of any ideas?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that contribute to this. And one of the things that I wanted to just kind of point attention to is a perspective article that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine on May 6th. Um, So I'll get that over to you, Matt. And this was actually brought to my attention by some of the, there's a group of Resident physicians who have been doing some work at CU and just kind of looking at some of this stuff as well, and so we had some educational sessions about it. Um, And you know, it's it's tough. I think when we talk about racial and health racial disparities with health outcomes, this is another thing that requires something of a of a nuanced approach. But it's really really important to talk about. And what this perspective article does, I think, in a really good way is it breaks down some of the ways that there's. Intersection between socioeconomic determinants of health and the ways that, because of kind of histories of sort of just the structural, you know, structural racism issues within these power structures and the ways that people are um, able to access resources to healthcare and other types of resources, that some of these gaps can widen. So, just as Stephen was talking about, you know, looking at geographic variation in health is connected to socioeconomic variation Is in, in health, is connected to racial variation. The wrong way to... I mean, I think when I say nuance, there's there's some ways to think about this that I think are, are potentially... Perilous. Um, one of those being that uh, that maybe there's something intrinsic, and this was this was brought up by Dr. Daniel Goldberg, who's on the in their uh, Center for Humanities and Bioethics here at CU. He he did a session today that I uh, just got off of, and he was talking about you know there's this tendency sometimes to think of it as you know that the problem is with like bodies, right? So it's like black bodies are more susceptible to coronavirus infection. Is that is that the reason that we're seeing this you know increased rates disproportionate even to what the populational down we're seeing severe illness in communities of color like no that's not that is not the issue right that it, that pinning this kind of on on demographic factors that have to do intrinsically with a person because of their race is not the way to think about it uh, what it what the way to think about it is it's the ways that the all of the surrounding factors you know that have these historical and cultural components to it that are very long standing and very complex um, but have very very real manifestations in the health of individuals and communities that those same kind of negative factors um, are contributing to higher, essentially higher rates of morbidity with the COVID epidemic. And, you know, I think the a quote from this article is just the experience of past epidemics and recent natural disasters suggests that the most socially marginalized populations will suffer disproportionately. And we're seeing that. Uh, I think we're going to continue to see that. And and we have to start to be able to talk about what are the key factors and then what are the ways, what are the modifiable factors, whether it's in the ways that we think and communicate uh, in the ways that we sort of deploy our different, you know, healthcare structures and and you know the ways that we de- put funding and things like that, and and also just on a personal level, kind of understanding that that this as we reopen, this is going to be a, a disproportionate thing. You know, another wrong way, um, or an, you know, another potentially dangerous way to look at this is to say this is a problem of. Other communities to mine, this is a problem of that community that I don't belong to um, it's a problem of the margins, and so we don't need to focus on it and um, you know I think we've harped on that again and again that a pandemic is something that is in just absolutely leveling and it affects everyone and that kind of approach where you think you know it's not if it's not in my you know immediate sphere of Experience or knowledge, then it's not something I have to think about. You know, I think is problematic both from how do we care for each other perspective, and and also you know that that comes that influences the health of our communities and and ourselves. So kind of a long long answer. Does that, Stephen? Do you have any thoughts or anything? Yeah, I mean, uh, so one of the
2: one of the conversations that um, people have had, and this is not a new conversation. um, This is something you alluded to earlier too. I think is you know how do we how do we avoid that tendency to to make this a problem of other communities and so you know some some have suggested that maybe we maybe we shouldn't be breaking down data by demography by these different groups because then that makes it sort of too easy to distance and too easy to sort of play out that narrative that it's really someone else's problem but of course that's that that can be problematic in its own way in in that you know if we aren't Collecting these data, then it's very easy to miss really important differences that that inter, that you can intervene upon, and so uh, and this. I mean, I mentioned that this is some of these these ideas are very old this is uh, so as as a public health researcher all of us are required to basically do an ethics training and as part of that ethics training we all read the belmont report which was this 1970s ethics basically promoting or, or outlining a couple of ethical principles for research on on human persons and it it proposes you know three basically three pillars of ethics for biomedical research which are respect for persons beneficence and justice and for all of the limitations of this of this report of which i think personally that there are, there are many it does get some really good things right and and one of the key things that it notes in respect for persons is that it's it's actually very important to to split up the collection of data by demographics because at the time one of the big issues was that there was very little medical data on pregnant women and so it was just not clear what sorts of Medical conditions, what sorts of risks were being borne by pregnant women simply because the data didn't exist, because all of the data was being conducted essentially uh, largely on on men, um, but certainly not on pregnant women. And so so I think that's one of the issues here is that we're sort of stuck in this difficult place where where, you know, you you don't want to marginalize communities. The very existence of certain types of data could encourage people to sort of make these distinctions in our minds. But nevertheless, I think it's really important to have the data so that we can hopefully thoughtfully intervene and and help out really as this epidemic continues.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that having the data is super important and we also have to be attentive and particularly attentive to the ways that we interpret that data and use that data um, such that it doesn't contribute to what you know is called like territorial stigmatization or you know contribute to some of these other types of stigmatization that's so that's an issue that's beyond the numbers right a little bit it exists in a space that is tangent to that intersects with the numbers but it contextualizes the numbers in this really really crucial crucial way and so just another instance and maybe one of the most pressing instances I think right now of the ways in which the way that we understand interpret and use data um, you know is is influenced by the world around That's us great. too
0: yeah um, you know I you said, Mark, that we've been kind of talking about this for weeks now, but I think it, it bears repeating this, you know, David Brooks, I mentioned the book, The Second Mountain, this, this tribalism mentality, and we've already seen it already, just many ways, uh, just the, the, the huge divide, the polarity, uh, the fighting, the bickering, and not actually dealing with the problem at hand, but dealing with other issues, maybe supporting political ideologies or, um, you know, a response out of fear and, you know, using data to support a confirmation bias right you're trying to selectively pick things to support your own ideology and this is not the time to do this and i'm just ex- thank you so much for mark and steven and what they're providing it reminds me of the dr katz uh, interview uh that uh, I, I didn't watch when we we're supposed to i didn't do my homework in the last episode but uh, I got, uh, I got, uh, I got an E for effort because then I did it after my, <laughs> after it was due. So, uh, I, so I always lowered by one grade. So my, the max I could get was a B now by Mark and Steven. So, uh, I did it and I watched it and it was really good guys, like really, really, really good. And a couple of things stand out from what you just said. I love that he talked about how we have to keep in mind that there's not just one way that people are dying or there's one way that we are going to save lives. Right. And I think maybe, maybe I'm the ignorant one. I'm not fully understanding. What you're saying, but I'm, what I'm getting at is that um, we need to look at this in an entire picture, and then we see certain demographics suffering more. That maybe maybe the natural tendency is to again this idea that we're you know it's complicated, is to simplify it and attach it to an intrinsic reality the the race right the gender, that's easy guys that's really simple because I can I can just do it. I can check off my list and I can move forward. And it's just not that simple that in the end, I think what you're saying, Stephen, particularly the stuff that you were seeing in the boroughs, right? It's a particular socioeconomic condition. And I'm guessing now, hopefully it won't sound like I'm going all over the place, guys. So it's your job to raid me back in, okay? Just in, But there was this, the article that I read called The Risks, Know Them, Avoid Them. I'll put them in the show notes. It's too long to talk about. But for me, I got a lot out of it. A couple of things that stood, stood out to me well, the biggest thing in this context that stood out is the idea that okay, the most susceptible places are indoors with lots of people, right? Well, what kind of socioeconomic conditions are that, right? It's the front it's 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 the frontline workers that are all there in one building, uh, with with not a lot of ventilation, all packed in. Oh, you know, great example. <laughs> meat plant packing plants, right? Great example, right? It is not about the race or the gender. It's the fact that they're all bunched in like cattle in this area doing a bunch of work and it's, and they're in there all day long. And of course, it's uh, incredibly loud at a meat, meat processing plant. So you don't whisper, you scream at your neighbor. Right, and when you scream, things create these environments. So it's important to realize the complexity of this. One thing I know in the Doctor Katz interview that reminded me is you were saying, Stephen, about this—the complexity of well, should we, should we keep this with demographics, or should we just make this all general because we don't want to make it any worse to create a, a, a greater sense of fighting? And I love the the, the interview you talked about—the we Americans are so used to win-win, right? Uh, that's all about kind of where we're going to get this and then now we're in the position we need to kind of go lose-lose in this situation. And he kind of refined it as as a medical worker saying, well, we don't really consider it as losers. Like If it's a lose-lose situation, it's about mitigating risk, right? Then you take that level of thing. So I see the temptation of like, okay, well, if we do this, what's the risk? Well, the risk is, so the temptation is want to mitigate that. But in the end, we need to realize we need to take a step back and realize we've got to use this to fight a bigger reality. Anything else on that, guys?
1: No, I just, um, yeah, I appreciate it. I think that's that's just something that um, is worth talking about and, and revisiting, you know, as we need to, because these things are all just so deeply connected and uh, they are going to matter immensely in the months to come. And they already, I think it's, you know, as we talked about kind of the pandemic, unmasking issues that already exist. Um, these are issues that definitely, definitely exist. Um, and in, you know, in certain, and in, in we're just going to have to see how we can, help people the most in the coming weeks
0: yep and it just reminds me of i had i had a friend of mine like uh, message me just saying i asked him he was a uh, back home in kansas with his family because he lives in this like middle of nowhere by himself he's like 20 something so it's like the worst possible place to be and so he went back home in kansas and he came back and checked in with him like hey how are things going and then of course he said i've learned the most about myself for better and for worse during this time and i think that's that's what's going on i mean on a micro level guys i mean i'm being Broken apart right now on a personal level and being rebuilt back up because of so many things that are being forced upon me internally. And I think what we're just seeing is uh, we're just the difficulties within our culture and our country are simply being magnified on an intense level right now. And this is the opportunity to start not screaming across the divide, but having proper discourse to come together. Because I think, like Dr. Katz said, in the end, this is a difficult issue where, you know, if we don't reopen, In some capacity, we could have more deaths in a different way. I mean, people rely on us uh, overseas for nutrition and food. And if we're locked down and we can't do that, we could see millions of people dying, right, going into poverty and then having another big issue it's complicated. So we need to have that discourse. We need to have the discourse. Well, it reminds me then, just just kind of funny in, in light of discourse and how it's more like discord right now. I saw on the news that the CDC that finds out that actually there might be more deaths than they thought. Now I'm not trying to promote deaths here. I'm just saying, isn't it just a little bit funny I and mean, just take it. I mean, we need to have some comical relief right about now that last week it was, oh my gosh, there's not, they, they reduced the deaths and they're hiding something and now it's more deaths. I'm like, okay. This is the nature of where we're at, right? We needed to take the ambiguity, realize that it's not necessarily conspiracy theory. It's complicated, right?
1: Yeah, you know, I think I, and in the context of the death counts, I really wanted to bring this up because I got a great and um, you know, typically thoughtful email from a good friend of mine um, who uh, works in healthcare policy and, and comments on healthcare policy, um, and so has a lot of background in that. You know, more more so than I do. Who who was responding in particular to our conversation about the death count. So I just wanted to flesh out a couple things from this email um, that she sent because I think it's interesting. And so there is precedent in this country of uh, mortality rates uh, for lots of things, including maternal and infant mortality, being contested matters or being difficult to pin down. Down. And often that's because we rely on county data or state data that's kind of distributed over the country and they have different ways of counting things. Um, and, and sometimes it's tough to tease out some of these metrics harder than you would expect, right? It seems like it should be really, really easy to figure out a mortality rate. Like, could there be anything easier than that? Um, and yet, historically, it has been kind of difficult. And one of the things that she kind of looks or casts a little bit of light on is that sometimes individuals of a particular political persuasion may have incentives to inflate the death counts, you know, and so you know her example was sometimes people on the political left might want the United States to look particularly bad in terms of its mortality because that provides a particular narrative uh, that supports certain types of reform in healthcare, whereas individuals on the political right may want to make the the U.S. look relatively good in terms of certain counts of mortality because that supports some arguments in terms of the way that we deliver healthcare currently and not moving towards a more centralized system. Um, and that it's no understanding that there are potentially incentives, even just in things that seem as cut and dry as mortality reporting is important to be aware of and to not, you know, kind of fall too quickly to either, either of those T- you know tendencies, and I think there's a, what she pointed out, which I, I'll just read, is that there is reason for some even thoughtful people to be skeptical of how COVID deaths are counted, or of how other health come outcome metrics in general are reported. Um, and so I think you know this is a, is, a, is an example of. It's not necessarily just just conspiracy theory, right? It's not that it, this is coming from nowhere. This is coming definitely from somewhere, and, and understanding that mortality counts are hugely important in policy discussions. Um, and so that um, you know, that being said, I think it's all the more reason to have really thoughtful conversations about what are the numbers, where are they coming from, who's doing the counting, um, and you know, how how is this being verified?
0: I'm glad you brought this up, Mark. And I kind of absolutely we need to have thoughtful discussions about these issues. And so what frustrates me the most is that we're not able to have them. So I want to take, this. now I come from uh, a Christian background. So just just PSA, like, I like going to church. So if I say anything about maybe not going to church, I actually dig it sometimes. Okay. So uh, please don't pigeonhole me in this, in this circumstance. But this is a perfect example, Mark, of what you were just saying, that I have friends of mine who are just adamant that there's this big, wide conspiracy to shut down the Christian or religion in general, whatever it may be. And this is the lobby. Coronavirus is the lobby to be able to obtain this. And it's so hard to have a really good discourse because, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, there's something true about what they're saying, right? Just as you were saying in here, it's okay to have a healthy sense of, is this this legit, right? There's a history by which there may be, be some using mortality rates to obtain some kind of other end, right? So we want to look at it in a healthy skepticism that's 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 based in sobriety. And so what I'm looking at now is I'm hearing my friends go all over the map trying to uh, frame the, the government for um, not opening churches. And it may be true that the case, there are some circumstances in which that maybe there is being a preferential treatment or a bias that's politically driven. There may, there might be, I'm not entirely sure. But I like all like every episode that we do. We need to start with the idea that it's complicated. It's more complicated than we than we propose. And I want to and, and I want to go back because what you're proposing, Mark, is then then how like how do we determine what is a bias and what is what what is how do we know that what's 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 true what's not true? And I think in this situation, like for when we begin to reopen. The best thing to look at is look at, you know, when when biases or preferential treatments are being done, we need to look at like kinds. So for example, uh, that great article I mentioned, the risks, know them, avoid them. I'll put in the show notes. I really thought it was enlightening for me to show the complexity of the situation that just like Steven, you were mentioning about how in the boroughs, it's these socioeconomic conditions where they're all kind of like in tight, like meat processing plants. It's these areas which, which offer the, the most promotion of infection. Well, where is that at in the country? Well, churches are a big one. You talk to me, you know, cause there's, there's singing, there's call and response, there's handshaking, there's hugging. Now, you know, those things you can deal with on an individual basis, but by its nature, it's inside tons of people, right? There's communion for people. So it is by its very nature, a really highly infectious area. So we just can't gloss over it and take it just like, no, let's open it up. We need to look at it carefully and so when do you know and so how do you know whether someone is actually keeping churches closed because it appeared just, hey, it's really bad for our, our our society right now to actually have that kind of or is it a preferential treatment or or discrimination? Well, it's all about like kind. So I mean, if what's something like that? Well, restaurants. Restaurants are another great place by which you go in there, even if you have to wear a mask. You can't really shove food through a mask. Yeah, you you know, like I mean, unless you have some really cool technology, you've got to take it off to like to chew your food. So that's another great place. So look at around so we can actually have discourse about these things that it is complicated there. It's a multidimensional thing, right? We just can't keep a lockdown forever, right? We can't just open up our doors, but I really desire for us to come together and chat about this realize it's complicated. There are places by which it's highly a difficult situation for coronavirus and we need to take seriously. That's just my, my two cents, but I I appreciate you. You mentioned that Mark.
1: No, I think that's good. I mean, I think we've hit some pretty big, Topics and these are difficult topics. I find them personally difficult to talk about sometimes because I feel a lot of sensitivity to just the ways that even words, you know, individual words, have whole chains of association, whole histories of being, you know, of discourse upon discourse upon discourse. Right? There's just ways that like invoking something is it's it's just comes with so much potential baggage, and I think. My hope is that i for me my hope for me personally is that to get to a place where there's enough generosity of of listening both to myself and to other people whereas you know we can kind of have some of these conversations around these things and maybe sometimes say the wrong thing maybe sometimes stumble into a you know contested territory that one didn't know was deeply you know contested that there's landmines there that you didn't expect out of the intention being out of goodwill and out of greater understanding um, to have kind of a better better understanding, better way of like, how do we communicate about these realities that we see all the way around us, you know? Um, and so I think that that's kind of a roundabout way of saying like, I think we've, you know, when we talk about things like, You know structural racism. When we talk about things like social determinants of health, when we talk about things like the ways that healthcare outcomes can be operationalized for all sorts of political ends, and and then we talk about kind of the hopefully ground you know grounding that in the desire, like we're talking about last week, you know, hoping that we can all be operating from a place of. What is the good? Um, you know, and how do we start to have constructive conversations about what the good is and how do we have constructive conversations about how to pursue it? Um, you know, I think that's something in terms of like personal growth is like, how do we begin to have these conversations amongst ourselves, with ourselves, with other people, and then with people who are not you know who maybe don't share our commitments or our ideas um, and so that's that's what I'm thinking about you know in the context of this episode
2: and uh, related to that, I think that you know I've been thinking a lot about like people who and uh, or the voices that I've heard that that seem to be the most most critical of the standard public health measures that I espouse or um, you know for example reopening or or even the question of churches that we just brought up and and I think that one of the things I've realized, sort of playing out in in various epidemics, actually in the past, is that a lot of times the I think that the the sort of the, the sort of thing that people are worried about the the people who who or or the groups that seem seem to sort of have this conspiratorial nature is it, it's it's not so much or it, I think in some cases it's expressed as as a concern that someone else actually like for example wants to close churches and is just sort of hiding that fact under like a like like a a facade but like their desire and their intention is guided by the fact that they want to do this but but i think that there's also and i imagine many more people are sort of motivated by this second idea, which is, is, is actually that that very motivation is hidden from the very people who are espousing this other side in the sense that like, it's not that anybody would come out and say that they want to close churches, for example, but as we were talking about last time, people just hold very, very distinct sets of values. And for someone who may be in a position, who's thinking about, you know, closing, imposing a lockdown for them, they, they don't, they, they just don 't value that, and they can 't imagine how another person could value going to church and might even value that to the extent that they would be willing to risk their life to do it and so there's there 's sort of this difficult scenario i 'm actually thinking of the 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 outbreak the Ebola virus disease outbreak in West Africa, where a lot of people were 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 very critical of people who wanted to bury their relatives because you can transmit the virus by um, through burials that it 's still transmissible after death. And so there was this idea that well, we should just sort of impose this this very sort of sterile kind of burial rite that 's actually a very western type of burial rite that that would have really just completely upturned the the the, the customs and the and the culture of of the um, society that was that was facing this this disease in the first place, and so it wasn 't an intentional sort of westernization of their ways but there was an implicit sort of drive for this as well and so i think that there's you know again speaking you know and talking about how everything is is very complicated it's it's really difficult because there is part of me that has a lot of a lot of sympathy and a lot of like an ear for that kind of thing. Um, and even if I don't totally agree, I do recognize that there are these underlying motivations that can be hidden even from the person who's expressing them, that um, that really do play out in an important way, and that it's it's up to people to resist that, you know, if when necessary, um, and it just puts us in a very difficult spot
0: that's that's great, Man. Okay, so this is now turning to a counseling sure. moment because uh, that totally provokes in me, on a very particular level, because when things get tough for me, guys, and you think when we're going away from the show, but I don't think, I think this is relevant, at least in my mind when things get tough for me and I'm like in the grind, I simplify my, my decisions and my outcomes and I'll cut corners to streamline efficiency.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, think about what you're, so think about and have a little compassion for yourself in your brain, right? And think about what, what is your brain meant to do? You know, and it's when When you get into a highly stressed situation or, you know, highly kind of riskier or time pressured or attention fractured situation, you rely most heavily on heuristics, quick snap ways of thinking right? And we do this in medicine all the time. You know, we talk about cognitive biases and the ways that time pressure or work pressure or frequent interruptions or fatigue can contribute to mistakes, errors, and clinical judgment, right? Because you're relying too heavily on things that are adaptive in certain circumstances, but become maladaptive when you don't have the right kind of you know, corrective, you don't have the right kind of thoughtful recursive, like, let me go back over it approach. Um, and so, you know, so you're right. You're you, when you're, when your amygdala is activated, you know, when you've got your fight or flight, when you're existing kind of in that brainstem, it is, you rely much more heavily on heuristics. And that's one of the places that, you know, our biases, whether it's confirmation bias, you know, take your pick, um, that those are going to be most operative. And, and so I think just calling these things into awareness and starting to, to name them a little bit and pull them from the place of like moving my behavior implicitly to at least I can be explicit about the fact that I have some of these biases that are operative, then, then that helps us get a little bit of traction and hopefully make some more thoughtful and kind of more value based, um, you know, judgments,
0: and that's exactly it. I mean, I think what I'm trying to, I think what you're getting at too, is what I'm getting at is that in those moments where you, where it's heated and difficult, and you kind of do those heuristics and you go into the amygdala mode, that as as uh, my, uh, my sister said weeks past, this is the moment to have self compassion uh, in the moment. So this may sound like a counselor, but this is how it should be applied in my mind. Like there's difficult decisions being made in our country and within state levels. And then some things may be doing quick and maybe a little bit of rash, right? And that's gonna expose cognitive biases. Now, some, some governors, some state officials clearly may not value going to church above that of maybe going to Home Depot <laughs> to, uh, to, get your, to get your house fixed up, right? Uh, and it's being exposed during these difficult times. And I just know in a personal level that during those times where I'm in fight or flight, if somebody tries to expose me in that moment, and like a, and ridicule me, it just puts me it, it wedges me deeper in my position and doesn't give me the chance to be able to uh, see the other side. But having self compassion and compassion for the other person to enter into dialogue and be like, "Hey, this might be a reflection of some values that's going on," and all the more, all the more critical to approach this with compassion, so we can actually achieve a better end in place versus just throwing arrows at the other person and 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 telling they have no sense. Of, uh, of respect for X, Y, and Z. That's great. I really appreciate that, Mark. Okay. I think that is all we have time for today. I appreciate everyone who's listening. I hope you have a great, wonderful Thursday. If you want to reach out to Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-K-I-S-S-L-E-R on Twitter. uh, And then M-A-T-T-B-O-E-T-T-G-E-R on Twitter for myself for anything about the podcast. If you want to, please don't forget to leave a rating if you can, as well as if you can offer any support, patreon.com slash pandemic podcast or Venmo or PayPal in the show notes. I hope you have a wonderful and great week. We'll see you next Wednesday. Take care. Bye-bye.